not a total loss. Damn straight. Yeah. You know, my Saturday mornings, you know, right around the late 70s, early 80s, I was a big Godzilla fan, so. Showed up, and I was, like, super excited about that. And then these crazy Japanese twins, and they were real small, and I just couldn't follow it anymore, so. Kind of lost it then. Oh, man, they were the best part. They sang. <laughs> it was... You know, that's when the series jumped the shook for me. It wasn't the big lizard coming out of the sea. <laughs> or the big flying moth. Or, you know, any of the other stuff. It was the, the, the super small singing Chinese or Japanese twins. That was- Welcome to Snafu, a Bolt Action Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Eubler, with the wonderful voice this week. I have a cold, so sorry. With me is Pat. Hello. Jeff. How's it going? And Dale. Hey, everybody. Hey, so this is our second episode. Uh, we're going to title this one, Can Only Get Better, right? Um, so this is our second one. I don't think we gave a good explanation as to what we're doing, but I think we're... Our goal for the show is to basically be a bolt-action podcast that kind of covers everything. Um, In this episode, we'll talk about some of the hobby stuff we do, uh, our our campaign that we're running right now, or Jeff is running for us right now, as well as some other things. And we're going to try and go through some rules as well, because I think there's some rules that, or we all think there's some rules that we could all get better at, and I think this is a good forum for that. So why don't we start with Jeff? What are you working on right now? Um, I actually got a, an order of the new Dragon Portes, which are motorized, mechanized infantry for early war France. Uh, a company called Crusader Miniatures in the UK just started making them, and I jumped on and bought 20. And they got here to me in the States in seven days from the day I placed the order, which was super fast. Uh, and they're absolutely gorgeous metal miniatures. Uh, they're already back on my paint table, primed and based. Well, not really based, but the start is done, and I am raring to go and paint them, so you'll probably get to see those Thursday night. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Hey, Warlord, you might want to take note of seven-day turnaround on orders, because that, that sounds pretty awesome. I got to see a couple pictures of those, and those look pretty cool. They look really nice, like really nice casts. Yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous casts. I was very impressed with the quality. Now, and that's a mechanized unit, correct? So that's like they ride tanks and stuff, correct? Um, they actually ride uh, trucks, um, okay. or or in the uh, the half track, the French half track, but mostly trucks. Okay. Well, how about you, uh, Pat? I'm, I'm picking names here. I'm having a tough time thinking of names right now. Pat, what are you working on right now? Well, I can actually say from last time I've got my paratroopers done, so progress. And now we're moving on, focusing more on terrain, uh, pretty much European terrain at this point. I've taken apart my hastily erected uh, farmhouses and walls, and I am redoing those at the moment. And then I've got 
whole piles of other stuff. I also got some focage or hedgerows that I'll be working on. Um, and then somewhere down the road, we'll be finishing out like some desert sort of terrain. So I got some molds. It's basically woodland scenic. Woodland scenics is like thrown up on my desk upstairs. It's just all over the place. Nice. So, yeah. A lot of fun. Look, no minis in the future, but all kinds of terrain and stuff. So that's going to be kind of a fun, interesting challenge. Sounds good. How about you, Dale? I know you're working on some stuff. Um, nothing new, actually. I no. still have um, what I had on my table before. Um, but I did get my um, the rest of my Japanese collection from Warlord. That did show up after about six weeks, I think it was, seven weeks. Um, ironically, I think it showed up the same day that Pat got his order. And he ordered after me like a week or something. So we think something was going on with customs. But um, I mostly spent my hobby time thinking about um, putting together a couple of um, themed boards. And so I'm doing some shopping, trying to find some items and do some testing. I'm looking for um, some tanks, a uh, way to use, to get some cheap tanks actually for terrain. I thought that would be kind of cool. I'm thinking about building like a tank war battlefield. Um, I don't think I've seen many of those or any of those yet in, in, in play, and I thought that that would be kind of, it could be really cool if done well, so I'm giving some thought to that. That's where I'm at. What about um, what about on your table right now, Rick? What do you got? Uh, I just clipped, I think, 120 Americans uh, so that I cut everything off the sprue when I start, and I put it in my organizer so I can start, like, putting it together and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, now I'm in the middle of magnetizing all the bases and pinning them to their bases, so it's going to be quite the endeavor. Um, actually, so I put together two Shermans this weekend, a American half-track, I can't remember which one it is, uh, a Panther Ossa, and two Opal Blitzes. So I've had a, quite a busy week, actually, um, and that was all like this week. As well as I've actually started receiving my stuff from, so I bought all that uh, really cheap plastic aquarium stuff from overseas, and I wasn't expecting to see it until they, the expected ship date, ship date was April, and I'm starting to get it now. So I'm getting it piece by piece, and I'm having a tough time holding off, putting it all together and assembling it before before it's done. Yeah, what you've, what you've sent pictures of, actually, it looks really good. So it's one of those I might have to piggyback on. I yeah, haven't liked it that much. So in it, all it is is it's cheap. Like you can go... You can go on eBay and look for like HO or O scale palm trees, and there's you know there's a million sellers overseas that'll sell you 20 of them for five dollars, and you know they're not great, but when you put them in mass, like when you start putting them all together on bases and stuff, they they look great. They don't look bad. And the real trick is is that you gotta I, I airbrush them. I've been airbrushing them now to to take that like really cheap plastic shine off of them, and it helps a lot. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's one of the big things about it. And so now I've, I've sanded all the bases down. I'm going to start, start putting the texture on them, which I guess we could talk about that because I don't think we would, we've normally talked about that. Gail, this is a product that you talked to, or that you showed me and I thought was about the most awesome stuff in the world, is the Vallejo Earth Texture. Um, and this is the black lava asphalt. You can get it in a big tub for like, I don't know, what was it, 10 bucks? Yeah, I think if you got the same one I did, it's right around 10 bucks off Amazon. Yeah, and it lasts forever, and you can use it on so many projects, but it's like the best basing material I've ever used, and it works great on terrain. I'm like, I'm going to do everything with that stuff. 
Yeah, I'm really happy with it as well. It's so, like you said, it's super versatile. And the fact that you can get it right in black means that you can pop it right on the airbrush or do dry brushing and, and add yep. those additional, you know, terrain textural elements, whether it's a tuft of grass or some bricks or, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it so far. It just adds, it adds just enough grit. It's not too, it's not overpowering like some ballast can be. Oh, I see. Pat, Pat, what, what's on your mind here, buddy? Um, which part? I don't know. You raised your hand. Oh, sorry. I just must have bumped it when I came back in. <laughs> Fair enough. So, a bunch of us, or I should say, a bunch. Yeah, it's a bunch of us. There's three of us that are headed to Adepticon with a couple other fellows. Um, we're only six weeks out, which is a little bit scary, since some of us may have not completely discussed what we're doing at the tournament. But we're uh, four of us are paired up in the teams tournament. And I think that's the only event that we're participating in as far as bolt action goes. So I don't, I don't know. Has anyone got any thoughts about that? Because I'm kind of like, I'm kind of freaked out because I don't feel quite prepared for it yet. As I've said before, playing the game makes you prepared, so just keep playing the game. Nobody's ever ready their first time, Rick. Besides, didn't you already play at a tournament? So you're all, you guys are a step ahead of me, aren't you? I, I think this is going to be a different kind of tournament. I'm kind of guessing that this is going to be... Uh, a little bit more narrative or historical based. So thankfully I have like an awesome historian as my team partner. You know, Jeff and I are teamed up at this point. Hopefully we'll stay teamed up through the, through until then. So yeah, I, I think we'll be fine. I think I, hopefully we will be. So what's the, um, uh, what the particular event, is it just the one doubles you guys are doing or is there more going on as far as bolt action goes? Well, there's a bunch of bolt action at Acon. So there's the team tournament. There's a combat patrol, which I think is is that Thursday night. I think it must be Thursday night because our thing Thursday, is Friday. Yeah. So the team tournament's on Friday, but I think the night before is a combat patrol. And I'm not sure how many points it is. I think it might be it might be 800 points or it might be less. I think it might only be 500. 600. 600. 600 there we go. 600. Patrol. And then uh, then Saturday and Sunday are the is the two day like Grand GT U.S. Nationals. Yeah, U.S. Nationals. Which, I mean, the biggest dilemma with us going to Adepticon is that we don't typically stay around on Sunday long enough to be able to play in an event. Because, unfortunately, it's, I mean, from Minneapolis to Chicago is a six-hour drive, so it makes it a little bit complicated for us to, to make that swing. Otherwise, they probably would have signed up for it. But I did, I did want to sign up for some other events anyway, so I, I got into some other things. So what have we, what were, not we, I mean, the Royal we, you guys, what have you guys signed up for? Um, that's bolt action related. Is it just the uh, is it just the uh, the partners, or is there a little more? Yeah, I think we're all just playing in just the partners at this point. Okay, we're not going to be there in time for the for the Thursday night uh, combat patrol. We Earth. probably would be, but we couldn't guarantee it, so I don't think yeah. we wanted to risk it. That's right. We were going to leave Thursday. Forgot about that. So is it? So it's a one-day tournament. So three rounds. Are there any rules as far as force selection goes? Can, do you, can you mix factions? So what, what's the approach here for this event? It is Axis versus Allies. So you have to be historically aligned. And I think they even gave uh, Jeff a little flack when he tried to have the French teaming up with Rick's Germans, just ensuring that they was doing Vichy French, which I believe he is, and uh, historically indeed. could be. So that's and they. You know, they sent out email, have a little website related to the particular tournament, and it seems like they want to make it as historical as possible and want to keep theme bases and all that kind of stuff in line. So I think that's actually kind of cool. 
Yeah, they were even specific to say, like, hey, you know, you guys might have to explain to your opponents why you're, how you guys are aligned. Um, because apparently there's a scoring mechanism of some sort that says, you know, you make you had a flavorful army, or your 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 armies blended well together according to histor- the history and stuff. But um, we'll see what that actually means. All right, that seems actually pretty cool. I mean that they're going, and it's, I guess that's the one thing from a historical standpoint, from where we're coming from, um, that is kind of cool. That a lot of people are, um, or rather, that the tournament organizers are encouraging, you know, that whole part of the theming. And so that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. It'll be, a, it'll be a little interesting just because I'm sure I'm going to get some crap. They're going to be like, oh, why would the French ever work with the Germans? And I was like, you're missing two years of the war here where the collaboration was the official policy. So, And the force selector isn't, frankly, all that different for the between early war France and the Vichy France. It's just the Germans took all of our good weapons, so <laughs> we don't have any of our best tanks or best anti-tank guns. But I don't think the it's French have gone. best tanks anyway, do they? Ooh, they sure did at the start of the war. Well, that's because they were they were geared uh, to win World War One again. Wait, wait, wait! Was the Panzer actually uh, French? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah, then they didn't have good tech. All right. No, I do also think it's gonna be kind of interesting because I'm paired up with uh, our friend Jesse, who's playing Russians, and quite frankly. The British and the Russians never fought any sort of battle or campaign together. They just never shot at each other as close to an alliance as they got. So, uh, I don't know. But they're allies, so I guess it's legit. And that's kind of funny because they didn't even bat an eye at you guys, like, being partners. But basically they're like, oh. And I get it because the French and the Germans, I mean, other than Germany invading France, you know, no big deal, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, well, it is what it is. So yeah, I'm excited for it. I think I think we're gonna. This will be kind of a new endeavor for us again. I don't. There, are, I've played in a couple other team tournaments as far as like um, different different gaming gaming or uh, different game systems, but I think this will be kind of cool to see. And I don't. It's going to be interesting with the whole. I, we've played a couple other team games, and I think it's interesting with the with the different colored dice mechanic and how you guys don't. You know, we don't get to both go at the same time. And kind of, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Well, in all fairness, you know, at the club we've played several team games, and other than they seem to take a little longer because we, you know, fuck around a lot more. You know, they seem to run pretty smoothly as as well as just uh, one-on-one games. You mean like throw paper airplanes? Well, that, and we've played several 2v2, 2v3, you know, team sort of games. We've played all kinds of craziness. Yeah, I don't feel like they take that much longer, which is actually kind of cool. And it, in the game, actually, does lend itself pretty well to um, to teams and having multiple players playing a game. I think it works just fine for the most part. I think it'll just be interesting to see how it works because, in addition to having two armies and that they have to be historical, one of them can be an armored platoon, which could make things a little interesting because we're not quite sure what that entails. I'm not sure if we even set the point level, but it's 800 points per a team member, so it's 1,600 points on each side. Are these, um, do we know if it's standard boards in regards to like 6x4 or because of the points level, are these going to be larger or is, I that, is that just going to work on 6x4? I mean, again, I don't yeah. have a ton of experience, but I'm thinking, you know, my 800 points game, it, feel, it felt pretty 
pretty busy just with my enter points on it. You're so. playing Japanese, so you're going to have to figure that out because you're going to have too many guys on the table anyway. Um, but I, I think, I do think from like looking at the boards last year, I have to, I have to imagine that they're playing in four by sixes. I don't imagine that they're bringing out bigger boards for Friday. And then, like, putting them away and putting out four by six oh, on Saturday sure. and Sunday. Yeah. Just right. logistics of a tr- tournament, that's just how it's got to be. Maybe that's why they set up one partner that could be an armored platoon, because isn't that typically allow you a greater allowance for, you know, kind of your tanks and things like that? And yeah, maybe. Any okay. 100 points uh, in armored, an armored platoon is probably going to have four or five order dice tops. Yeah, so, it's going to yeah. be pretty small. Yep. Oh, all right. And it might be, like, one or two actual tanks and then a couple, you know, half tracks or trucks with some units inside them yeah i kind of i kind of slowly um not always out loud but definitely in my mind give, i'm just thinking giving you guys a hard time because all the tanks that you guys have purchased and accrued and i'm thinking you know i'm looking at my army list you know all the dudes i have you know i think i can play with one tank in a single force i mean why would i need any more than just a couple depending and you guys have yeah this was my sixth sherman and I just painted my third Panzer, and I'm like, "Well, what are you ever going to use to all of that?" Well, what? to be fair, I've got I've got two Shermans, and one of them is a is has some top secret nefarious plan for in the future, but I can't really divulge that right now. All right. Well, in actuality, when they when you do look at the tank war scenario, the typical place the point size for that is three thousand, which is to, uh, to compare what a thousand point game is for actual bolt action, as far as order dice and playability of the game it was designed at 3000 points i guess i've never i've never looked at the tank war are do they shift up the scenarios i I must they must given that it's just a bunch of tanks on the on the field so do we have the tank wars book somewhere that i can i was going to say is there even a tank war scenario or is it just blow each other up because i think it's Uh, it's, i've actually got the tank wars book i picked it up because i i love that crap um Part of it is, you have to remember, is um, you can take infantry in a tank wars list. It just has to be mounted on a truck or an armored car or a half-track. And they actually use a lot. They have some new scenarios, but they use a lot of the book scenarios, too. And you just have to have infantry to actually capture an objective. So it makes you, you know, be careful about your force selection. Nobody just just brings tigers because you can't take any objectives then. Okay, so you still think they keep the infantry needed to, to secure objectives. Okay. Yeah, I was actually half considering just messing with Rick and bringing a tank wars list for this as my French list, which would be hilarious. A bunch of, a bunch of French tanks. Go for it. Of, do what you got to do, man. Bunch of baguette well, tossers. I was going to say, I, I just got two mechanized infantry units, and they got two trucks coming, so... I mean, if there's one thing we're good at, it's trolling, it's trolling our team members, so... <laughs> it, seems to be, uh, it seems to be a standard protocol in our department. All right. So I think that covers that topic pretty well. I feel like we may have even wandered a little too far on that. Um, the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about is actually something that we saw on Facebook this week. Um, there's another lo- another local group where the guys that actually ran, ran Blitz Freeze, which we talked about last time, are actually posting their next their next uh, next big thing. I don't know if you want to call it. Uh, it I don't know if I want to call it a tournament because I don't know exactly what it's going to entail yet. But it's. Uh, yeah, they haven't labeled it a tournament, so yeah. I, I don't think we should at all label it. No, a I don't, and I don't. I don't want to call it a tournament either because I don't. It's it sounds bigger and, and cooler than that, but we'll see what it actually comes out to be. Um, it's, it basically they, they announced it as being like an Axis versus Allies narrative style almost, or they want to well, call do we it. Have, do we have the entry? Can we just so that we're not taking anything out of context? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually do you want it up like, right now. Yeah. Bring it up and and. 
yeah, just kind of pull from it what it is, and then we can give kind of our initial thoughts on maybe maybe what we can do. Yeah, so, uh, so, so I'm going to just read kind of what Jacob wrote about it. Uh, so combat day theme, combat patrols. Each player will bring a force of 750 points. Armor is allowed, though anything over 7 plus is not permitted, which is like, then what's the point of armor, I guess, in my, my mind. Player force list will need to be submitted about two weeks before, so you can look it over and they can judge it, all that stuff. Um, they're encouraging you to explore uh, alternative themes, such as Africa or Winter War, give you some other ideas. Uh, it's going to cost something. Uh, it will involve each player playing three scenarios. However, some changes are being put in place. Uh, not going to be Swiss. Each table will have a specific scenario. Each table will be designed for a designated scenario. At the end of each game, players will shift from a different table to a different scenario. Four different scenarios that could change depending on the number of on, on the number of tables and what they're going to be. Uh, so the idea is that players will not face the same scenario twice or the same opponent. So basically, it looks like they're going to like they're going to like everyone's going to shift left one table after they play, and that's essentially how it goes. Aside from when you're losing, alternative objectives will be introduced. Secondary objectives and tertiary objectives won't be used to count towards victory, but they could ultimately change the outcome of everything. Um, yeah, scooping up alternative objectives will allow you to accumulate points towards your overall score. Some objectives can only be achieved once. Example, such objectives would be kill the enemy officer in an assault, or another would be to level a building or set one on fire, or both if you feel you really need to do so. Um, so it kind of, that's kind of like the gist of what he's saying in this in this thing, and that it's going to be basically in May or June is what he's shooting for. Yeah, I think I think it was titled A Campaign Day, right? Was kind of how yep. it's... Future labeled. Campaign Day in the Works. Okay, and which which immediately struck me as being different from a tournament. And then the, you know, the addition of there's no Swiss pairings based off of what sounds like he received feedback from other, other event organizers and things like that. So um, we talked about this a little bit in the last thing about, um, you know, that these, there are these, you know, get togethers or not tournaments or events or whatever. And with bolt action, it feels like maybe they kind of set this stuff up differently, which is very different than what we're used to. So it's, you know, I don't want to prejudge anything, but I am kind of interested to see how, how it works out. It might be, it might be really cool. So. Yeah. I mean, it sounds cool. And I think it's definitely going to pull out some of the people that don't necessarily want to come to a tournament and like try and face out, face off against the really nasty, armies that they can see at a, at a tournament they just want to come and have fun and i think this is a good way for them to be able to do both so you know maybe it's uh, more of a community growing opportunity or um I, you know i mean i'm just trying to think of, of the top side because i think there's going to be prizes best general on the axes and ally side i don't know pat and um and jeff do you guys have any any thoughts on this i have lots of thoughts on that actually Speaking as one who has never come close to winning a tournament, I think having it as kind of a, hey, we're going to have this overall idea going on. There's, you know, I don't know how they're going to do a best general when you're playing scenarios like that. But, hey, come out, let's play three games of a bunch of tied-together stories, and let's just do that. That sounds a heck of a lot more fun than having the pressure of, oh, crap, I lost, I lost my first one. Now I have to sweep this guy. i got to get my objectives to try and get back in the running so I can be in the top quarter. Whatever, I hated that stress as, as far as tournament plays go. So, I hope it's not that way. I like the turn, I like the change. I think I think it's interesting. Now, as a as a moderately successful tournament player, 
I I liked that part of it personally. <coughs> Moderately, yes. Uh, so so I kind of <laughs> humble you know, So I'm kind of you know I, I heard about it and I was interested in it. But see, the thing is, is that recently my only exposure to something like this was Wapaka, um, where Rogers um, started up the Infinity Narrative campaign, and that was just it seemed really cool and really clever. And you know the factions were you know you and your teammates, and you were just trying to work through you know what he had put together. And and so you know maybe this is going to be kind of something along those lines, which is which can be super super cool. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, long term, growing the community is this something that's going to be scalable up to 32 players, or you know, because we start building the boards and we start finding the players, and but I think it would be cool if we could mix and match where we've got tournaments for the competitive side of it if if the community would find that interesting and then these kind of campaign or narrative driven kind of things which personally I don't have a ton of experience with but I've really enjoyed what Jeff has done um, for the club so far so I don't know Jeff what do you what about this campaign day any any ideas or I'm terribly excited about it honestly I think it's gonna be a blast um I really look forward to things that get you more of the uh, the historical flavor going on rather than the than the uh, murder death kill list that some people can throw together. So I think this is going to be great, um, and I don't know, I'm super excited. All right, it looks like space is limited, so um, because it's just 750, I think that I might be able to participate if there's room. So um, yeah, this will be this will be fun. Although we might have to get a couple of boards together to help support it. We'll have to see. Gee, where will we ever find terrain for a couple of boards? <laughs> where would we ever find any boards? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, we're working I, I, on all that. Well, well, I feel like I would have to, I guess I'm thinking more out loud about myself, I would have to put a board together, so and I don't know that I could in that time frame. Yeah, because so. it's interesting, because ideally we'd like to get a total of 10 to 12 players. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like, it boggles my brain because they had almost, they had, what, 16? I think they had 16 18? sign up. Or, 14 or port, they had 14 ended up playing. So they had yeah. 14 players at their actual tournament. I seriously doubt that, that this is going to be less than that. And given how, I mean, so I'll, I'll say this here, Dale, and we can try and figure out if it'll actually happen or not, but I would like to actually run a bolt-action narrative at Wapaka next year. I think it's a, a perfect place for something like that, mm-hmm. where you get a bunch of guys and you can just drink beer and have fun. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I think that, and I, it's a matter of, you know, we've got, there's time. I know that we're talking about doing a, a couple of other things as well. Um, but, you know, with the experience that we're going to get over the course of the year, I mean, I think it could be something, you know, Wapaka has turned into into that one of those events where the narrative has just kind of really captured everybody's imagination. So that would be super cool, I think. That, I guess for me, it's, um, I, I guess I just can't get away from the whole competitive end of it. How do you... How do you pick, like, how do you give that one person or that one team the prize or whatever that's going to be? And and maybe it's not even necessary. I'm, I'm probably just overthinking it. So, And you probably are. I think this year they actually tried to get away from giving out, like, best general awards in almost everyone anyway. Um, yeah, every tournament at Wapaka this year was friendly in almost every respect. The only one that was kind of – the one that I saw that was a little different was the Infinity Tournament because they actually still had a standard tournament there as well. But they had to I don't follow know. the ITS, right? Yeah, correct. So one of the tournaments wasn't a standard ITS. It wasn't a team or didn't have any narrative to it, really. It had a couple unique rules, but it did follow an ITS tournament. Yeah, we'll cover, to get we'll cover that one on our Infinity podcast. Right? Correct, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, but what I was just trying to say is that, you know, I feel like 
almost every tournament at Wapaka now is becoming more narrative driven and it's almost all friendly in every respect. It's not, they're not trying to be best generals. And that, I know that might make your eyes tweak a little, but it, it actually turns out to be a really fun time because nobody's really trying to be like the, the you know, the biggest badass. Hey, as long as yeah. they're not handing out participant ribbons to everybody, I think they'll, will survive. And, and they're not, <laughs> they definitely weren't giving out participant ribbons. We can talk off <laughs> offline about all the stupid shit we had to do for that thing. Anyway, well, I guess, um, I, I don't, I, I don't, like I said, I'm reserving judgment because, but it's mostly because my lack of experience, I don't know that I understand really how it's going to work. But until I have the opportunity, I'm excited. You know, like I said, I think, I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be something that can be really cool. Um, but it, you know, I guess, and I'm not even afraid of it. You know, I mean, Akon has the U.S. Nationals, so maybe that becomes the one competitive thing that we end up doing if that's really what people want. Um, so we'll have to um, have to wait and see. Maybe it's maybe it's just this the way that we're all shifting in regards to how we come together, you know, across our region and and play the games that we really enjoy. So it's interesting. It's really cool. So I'll, I'm excited to see how it unfolds. So, and then if everybody brings soft lists, I'll just make it easier for me to, to beat everybody. <laughs> yeah, not wow. to not to bring no. up like the uh, yeah. I'm joking. No, no. but so I, I I'm <laughs> no, gonna go. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, I'm gonna go off topic just for a second because there's a funny story about that. Because I don't know if any of you guys are on the the Twin Cities face group or Facebook group, but yeah, LVO was last weekend. Was the last weekend? Or the previous weekend? I think it was the previous weekend, but. Um, did any of you guys see any of the lists that were posted for that? Because oh my god, that there was a Japanese army that looked filthy as all get out. Oh, I'm it curious. Was... So what did that look like? So I know what to. <laughs> so don't give them ideas. <laughs> so I think it was uh, eight, eight or ten. I think it might have been eight units, full full man units of bamboo. The bamboo guys. Yeah. Did Backed he actually up. model bamboo guys, or did he did, say these are bamboo guys? No, they were actually bamboo guys. This, it's so okay, I will well, say that, much. that was the he first credit I will give him. I saw the pictures of it, and I'm like, you know what? He actually put the time in. The models okay. are painted well. Uh, so, yeah, and it was backed up by two heavy howitzers, and I don't know what tanks they were, but he had two little tiny tankettes. Yeah, so, probably, um, probably 92s. I don't. I, it looked. It looked like a, a nightmare to get through, just because of the sheer amount of men that he had. Yeah, it's, it looks. It's pretty it looks like a lot. Yeah, or it seems to be. I'm kind of liking the uh, the tournaments where they're saying one platoon only might be the way to go, just from that standpoint alone. Yeah, so you can't get your silly ideas. Okay. All right. Yeah, that well, that seems pretty bent. Yikes. Yeah. It. it and uh, and apparently uh, one of our local players gave him a run for his money, so that's kind of the nice thing is that uh, I'll, I'll even give John credit for that or, or uh, props on the air for that because it looked like a lot to go through, and I know he's a good general, but I, I'm, I was quite happy to see that he did well against it. So there, there's something to be said there. Well, I think we're going to take a really short break, and we'll be right back um, with our topic of the night, which is basically which is terrain. So we're going to go through some of the terrain stuff so we can all get better at understanding what it is and how to play against it. There'll be a hot time in the town of Berlin when the Yanks go marching in. 
I want to be their boy Spread some joy when they take old Berlin There'll be a hot time in the town of Berlin When the Brooklyn boys begin To take the joint apart and tear it down When they take old Berlin They're gonna start a row and show them how We paint the town back in Kokomo They're gonna take a hike through Hitler's Reich And change that hile to what you know, Joe There'll be a hot time in the town of Berlin When the Yanks go marching in You could never keep them happy down on the farm After they take Berlin A hot time in the town of Berlin when the Yanks go marching in. I wanna be their boy, spread some joy when they take over Berlin. And may I join you? There'll be a hot time in the town of Berlin when the Brooklyn boys begin to take the joint apart and tear it down when they take over Berlin. They're gonna start a row and show them how we paint the town back in Michigan. They're gonna take a hike through Hitler's Reich and change the hile to give me some skin. There'll be a hot time in the town of Berlin when the Yanks go marching in. You're never gonna keep them happy down on the farm after they take Berlin. Hey, we're all back now, so we're going to start the second part of our episode, which is going to talk about terrain. Uh, like most game, or uh, like most almost all, all war games, terrain's a big part of it, and I feel like all of them have crummy rules that don't cover everything or are ambiguous and unfortunately bolt action or, or fortunately or however you want to look at it um, is the same as almost every other game. The only biggest, the biggest unfortunate part that I've found is that there isn't like a legitimate terrain section in the book. Uh, it covers buildings in its own little thing, but then it doesn't really talk about any of the other stuff, other little components within the shooting and movement section, but they don't have a terrain chapter so anyway, I think we're going to go through a couple of things. I, I, maybe we'll start out talking about like how, how I typically play war games or how we play. I don't know if we all play this way, but when I sit down at a gaming table, especially when it's a stranger or someone I don't really know necessarily, um, I like to go down, look at the table, you know, discuss with my opponent, you know, what are, we going to, what are we going to call this? Before we've decided who has what table side or anything, you know, is this going to be a building or is this going to be ruins because it's kind of half uh, half of one, half of the other? 
or are we going to call these hedges, even though they've got stone in them? So uh, is it really, should we call it soft cover, hard cover? Okay, these, there, you know, there's broken tree limbs on this thing. Are we going to call them trees or are we going to not kind of call them trees? You know, kind of go through all of the different components that you see on the table and determine whether or not, you know, they are what you believe they are or that, you know, your opponent is at least this way before you set anything out. And you aren't going to argue about it later because you've determined it up front. So that's kind of the way I typically play a game. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Or do you guys have different methods that you use? I'm usually so hyped up and excited to play, I forget about anything and put crap on the table. And it comes back to bite me every every single time. I like your approach a lot better. I try. I can't say I always do, too. Sometimes I get excited about you know, playing someone that I haven't gotten to play before. You, you just went through like the general ought to stage that they, they kind of actually touched that in, in, in bolt action. They actually say, before you, before you set up your forces, talk about the train with your opponent. They're actually just a very small one-line blurb that actually says everything you just said. But yeah, hurry up, let's play. Clock's running. We only got two hours to get this game done. Yeah, but it, like you've already said, it, it kind of avoids, a, you know, not necessarily an argument, but you know, a discrepancy later or, you know, you don't have to dice it off later because you forgot to talk about it, right. which is a big deal because I think that's something that I think that's often happens. Something I need to get in a much better habit of doing. And what I've been doing with my own train that I'm building is I'm actually, like, typing up, like, index cards with them. Like, this is how I designed this piece of train. This is how I was planning for it to play. And then always having that, you know, if you know, ever do a tournament ourselves and actually having those references for the piece of train I think will make... Everything cut and dry for it. Yeah, I, actually, I prefer that. At a I, like, I, there are multitudes of tur- tournaments that they'll have the the plastic card that has the table number on it, but then right underneath it, it'll be like all the hills on this table count as this, all of the trees on this table count as this. You know, so it's really cut and dry, and like you're not you and your opponent aren't deciding it. Someone else has decided it for you, which is really handy, and I love it that you're that you're thinking about that while you're making your train because I think that's a big deal. And actually, I'm doing the same thing with my with the tables that I'm creating. Is that I, I'd rather just have something be cut and dry, and this is how it's going to be, and then you don't have to discuss it with your opponent. It's just it, that's the way the game is going to play on this table. All right, so I've got a question that kind of goes on a little bit beyond that. Um, so you know, we're talking about you know the tables that we're putting together, designing, and Pat and I had a game recently. And um, we put all the terrain down onto the table, and we didn't talk about what it was beforehand, but we worked it out as we went along. And mostly it came down to the fact that I didn't understand what this kind of terrain was versus that kind of terrain, and once we got that cleared, it was fine. So um, when, it, when you're thinking about a game and the scenario that's going to be played on the table and the terrain that would support that scenario, do you find that, um, the, the, that you place terrain in such a way that you've got there's hard, so much hard cover. There's so much dense terrain. There's a road. I mean, what's the balance, or does it really come down to scenario? You know, in regards to if we're if we're going to play this scenario and we got nothing on the table right now, what what do you guys go through to know that this table is going to give us a good game because of the way the terrain's set up versus this terrain is going to be awful and it's going to be terrible to play? Uh, that's a good question that I don't necessarily have a. a clean cut answer to well then based um, off of you know how, how much you guys have played what do you you know and because now i'm also curious because i'm thinking about okay so i want to put this i want to build this themed tank wars table what kind of terrain should i be thinking about including and how big should it be and do i need spaces and gaps and that kind of stuff so 
quite honestly, the way I guess I'm looking at it right now is that I'm going to build a table that I want to build, and then I'm going to try and find a scenario that best fits that table versus trying to go the other way around. Okay. If you don't, if that makes sense, it's like, okay, so here's the table that I think I want to do, and then maybe I'll try and adapt it for other scenarios later, but if there's a, you know, I don't necessarily want to get, I don't want to make a table, I, I guess it's one way or another. You're either going to compromise on the table to satisfy a, a, a particular set of missions, or you're going to make the table you want and then find suitable missions for that table. Okay. It's kind I guess of either way. I'm trying... I'm all, I'm trying to be in all of the above because you know for me the first thing is does it look really really cool you know is it is it is it beautiful to look at and when we we set up all of our guys in the tanks and people walk by do they stop and tell us how cool it looks <laughs> so that's the number one thing for me but at the same time you know it does you know I really want to have an enjoyable game with my friends playing on playing on the table and so I'm just you know. I don't know, Pat, Jeff, what are you guys thinking about? Pat, you've put a ton, and Jeff, you too, you both have put tables together. So do you guys have any kind of hard and fast rules, or what are you thinking about when you do this? Um, my hard and fast rule is, does the table look awesome? That's that's number one. Uh, number two is, is, for me at least, is that does it look like something that could exist in real life? I mean, I'm trying to find a historical basis for it. So, like, I'll put down a, you know, a French townhouse or manor house, and then it should have you know, some hedges near it, you know, and marking the property line. It should be relatively close to a road in some aspects, you know. So I'm trying to make, recreate scenic, scenics, if you want to call it that, from the countryside, usually when I make a table. Or, you know, I'll drop that crashed B-17 out in the middle of everywhere, like it just plowed through everything in its path and came to a rest someplace. Um, after that, I'll make the consideration that, yes, we're going to play a game. So I try to avoid any open spaces greater than 12 inches, because uh, that's usually the limit an infantry unit can move, uh, because nobody likes crossing open ground and getting machine gunned to death. And, and frankly, in a war, you wouldn't dare send anybody across open ground unless you absolutely had to. Uh, most of us learned that lesson in the First World War. So I'm going for rule of cool usually, but I will make concessions to the fact that it's a game. And that's usually my basis for setting up a table. I always try to make sure you uh, avoid killing lines of fire from across the board. If someone can easily range in to a certain point at 36 plus inches, it really makes it tough for that person who's on the other side. So I just try to break up those firing lines. So I guess it's kind of like a cross between uh, the earlier war machine hordes sort of table and the infinity tables, which are just choked with terrain. So it's kind of a happy medium. But again, you got to put some logic into how things would actually look. Like Jeff said, historically, maybe is correct. But more logically speaking, you know, is this... Is this big hill going to be right next to this little tiny rock fence? Eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Move them somewhere else. But, you know, try to keep those kill zones to minimum. Try not to have firing lanes run the entire length of the table from deployment zone to deployment zone. Just because that helps break up things from being just blown up as soon as they get on the table. At least gives you a chance. I've had a couple of games where the terrain wasn't favorable and there was a big dead spot in the middle of my deployment zone. And that just ended up being my killing field and never really got out of that and that game was one of my least favorites played so far so look at it try and keep it balanced try not to overset anyone's deployment zone over the other and just cut down those firing lines from deployment zone to deployment zone is all i really look at and i think those i think those are all very common or i wouldn't even say those play to scenarios i think those are just like common sense things to do for any any 
any game table for bolt action. But I think you guys hit on a couple things that are really important and I think are kind of cool. Um, one of them being is, well, I'll go back because I've, I've thought about this again too. In a sense that when we played at Blitz Freeze and even at looking at the stuff at Adepticon, um, it, it seemed like there was a wide variety of tables. So some might be more open than others. Some would be have more terrain than others. Some would be more favorable to certain style armies and whatnot. And I think that's, you know, that's still a good thing to have is have some variety so people have to have some flexibility in their lists. Don't expect everyone to just have the exact same thing. Um, so it allows for some people to have a little bit more favor on one table versus another. I think that's something to have in mind. Um, but I think the thing that, you know, a couple of you said is the rule of cool. And I think that's something, and I'm going to go to another game system here for a second because I think it's important, is uh, in, in the game Infinity. If you're not familiar, familiar with it, it is a game full of terrain, and I think that's something that was really cool about it. But it, what it does is that uh, it's, it's, it draws people in because they're like, holy cow, look at all that cool terrain. I want to play on that. And I think that's something that maybe, you know, a lot of historical games definitely don't do well at. But I think most, like, 4 by 6 tables, even even Age of Sigmar or Warhammer, kind of suffered from in most, in most tournament settings is they didn't have cool enough terrain to, like, really draw new, new people in and be, like, excited about it. And I think that's something that we're our group is really excited about is actually making some cool tables that'll, that'll hopefully help draw people in. I think that's, a, that's an important aspect of things that we need to, like, that we should cover or not cover, but, you know, make sure we're doing when we're considering our terrain choices. All right. Yeah, I, it's, I guess, for me, now that I'm far enough along, or as far along as I am in regards to having played um, for years and years and years, I just, I just want it to look really cool. Um, I guess that's where I get the most fun out of it at this point in time, at least from an artistic standpoint. So I am, I am kind of super excited about that, that part of it. But again, you know, if I'm, you know, if we're, if we're going to put these boards together and they're going to look really sweet in the end, if they deliver on really, really poor gameplay, you know, I just want to make sure that, that we avoid that part of it, or at least that I do with the, with the boards that I'm going to put together. So, all right. Sounds good. I've, I've heard, or you've given me kind of a lowdown on what you're doing. I think you're going to be fine. I think it sounds awesome, and I think people would love to play on it. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I'm still trying to work out, you know, it's, you know, the whole reality versus fantasy thing. I, I liked, you know, with all of the the Infinity Terrain stuff that I did and, and how I put all of that together, in the end I found that what really caused it to really stand out was the high contrast, which Infinity really lends itself to. And so I'm still trying to work out thematically how to transition to uh, bolt action where it's certainly more of a, you know, a realistic, grittier kind of battlefield where the colors tend to be a lot more muted and things like that. So I'm still trying to work out kind of where the balance is going to be. So we'll have to see how it goes. So I'm still excited about it, though. I think the concept will be cool. It's just it's got to look awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think we're going to all have to, we're going to be playing around with some stuff. It is why I did pick Jungle first, though, is because this guy can have a lot of lush colors. So anyway, I think we should get into the nuts and bolts of this so we can like kind of go through the all three pages of, of terrain rules in our rule book. How <laughs> epic is that? All yeah. three pages, you guys. Hang on. Someone might want to go grab a sandwich first before we yeah, tear yeah. into three pages. Well, and, and and the funny thing is is that when you actually look at it, it's not even three full pages. It's like a paragraph on one page. Like uh, maybe it covers this whole next page too. So, no, ironically enough, 
I, I'm one of those people who goes through the rule books and marks, you know, tabs of like my old textbooks in college and highlights lines. And for the entire part of train and movement, I have two lines highlighted. So that kind of tells you how limited they go with their train rules. Yeah, it's kind of well. I, you know, maybe not. It's not that it's sad. It's I mean, it, it still is adequate. Like it does go through all the things we need to go through. But so I think we're going to start on page forty-five. So we're going to start with the movement section because I think this is where they first talk about terrain in any respect. I think that's the first implementation or any of it, and it's basically talking about um, uh, basically speed over terrain. Correct? Is that what I'm reading here? For movement, yep they they cover five. They identify five different types of terrain that impact movement. There is impassable, which is exactly what the word sounds like. There is rough ground, and the only key definition I have in here is, let's see, so infantry is only allowed to move rough grounds by means of an advance. Nobody can run over rough ground. Uh, Obstacles, the exact same sentences in there, can only be covered by doing an advance. Buildings and roads. Five categories for terrain that impact movement. That's it. Which is which isn't too bad. Other than that, it it's uh, it's still kind of ambiguous as to which ones are supposed to be what. Yeah, I'm um, curious. Does it give examples of like say what what rough ground would be? Yeah. So okay. To... So let's go through the examples of rough ground. So the sort of feature that would be typically rated as rough ground include dense woodland or undergrowth, loose ground such as deep mud, sand or scree, and areas of ruinous buildings of rubble. So I mean, it, it makes sense when you look at it, and I think yeah, you have to look at the table and be like, oh, okay, this is where our rough ground would be. Um, Probably not a lot of mud, deep mud or sand or scree areas, but definitely going to be hopefully some dense woodland or undergrowth, probably some ruined buildings or rubble. So I think that's kind of makes sense. I, I'm a little boggled, though, because I'm looking at the chart on page 47, and it says that uh, tracked vehicles can go, oh, I guess, it, I guess it does say no run. They can still advance over it, but they can't run, which kind of probably does make sense. Yeah. So, and then, and then we'll go into the next topic, which is, or the next subject, which is obstacles, which in this circumstance is uh, stone walls, ditches, hedges, um, streams, or other waterways that present barriers or movement. So, uh, so basically, something that impedes you, but necessarily doesn't do anything else. Well, I mean, I guess some of those do other things too. Uh, buildings, which we'll cover in their own little thing, because we we all love buildings for other reasons. Um, and then buildings roads. were awesome in version one. <laughs> I hated buildings in version one. That's because uh, you never got in them. No, I just I just faced Pat's uh, rapid fire Brits in them, and it's it was in the brutal. churches with multiple yeah. windows. It was outstanding. Yeah. yeah, it was really awesome. felt It felt really good being on the receiving end of that guy. And then uh, and then roads, which I think are pretty straightforward, though. We, I, it's I'm glad I do this at the beginning of games because sometimes roads can be a little weird. Or they'll have little spots where they'll like mud out, or you know, there's train tracks running across the middle of it. And like, well, what are we going to call all of this? And I think that's something that is important to talk about too. And one of the key components that I, I think is it's often missed with roads. This came up in my last game uh, against uh, who was Jeff. Um, is that it's important to note that most units or most wheeled vehicles get two time two t- two two times the speed on roads so wheeled vehicles and track vehicles get two times the speed which is totally awesome and can get you across the board in no time it's really fun important to remember that that entire travel has to be done on a road correct that's the important part i was about to say is that you have to start and end and never leave the road 
for you to get two times movement throughout the entire trip or the Which entire drive. Makes too much sense, so obviously it must be a rule somewhere. Yeah, I, well, and then I'm, it's it's described elsewhere. I'm pretty sure as well. Um, yeah, it actually says it right in the right in the chart on page 47. So if the unit rate move is double if the entire if it moves entirely along the rotor track. So it's good to note. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, still getting over the, tr the the cold here. So then I think the next spot they talk about uh, the rule about terrain is in the shooting department in the shooting section. So I think well, if all the students will follow along and go to page. <laughs> 57, they'll talk about cover. Turn your hymnals to... Yeah, I wasn't going to go into the religious aspect of things, but... Um, so, yeah, and then they'll talk about all of the things obscured by terrain or other models. Uh, uh, dense terrain, shooting from cover, whether or not you have soft or hard cover, and whether or not you're sure. I think this is where you're talking about. You know, just talk about it beforehand. Oh, I'm getting itchy throat. Uh, nice. Well, but, uh, go ahead and you go get a drink there, itchy throat. Um, the big, the big difference that they have between determining hard and soft cover in this cover section is essentially it's hard cover if it has a chance of stopping a bullet. So if you're standing in a bunch of like behind bushes or something like that, those bushes aren't going to stop a bullet. So they they obscure visually, so that becomes soft cover. If they have a chance of actually stopping or impacting the bullet, then it's hard cover. We have a lot of various terrain across it, and I believe, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong here, along your line of fire, you identify all the possible impediments you have, and you take the worst of those. Correct. So if you, if That's you have my understanding. two bushes and one stone wall, you're going to take the hard cover for the stone wall. That's how I have played it, yes. And I don't think, and I could be wrong, because there's so many little sentences that they filter in so, here, but you're I don't know what that, that says. It takes. It doesn't. It doesn't accumulate. Accumulates. It's take the worst of. So you're telling me that one stone wall will always be better than two bushes. Is that like a bird in the hands worth two in the bush? Uh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I don't know what a. I don't know what a bird would be rated. That seems a little weird. Uh, it might be I was soft trying cover. To, I was trying to come up with a, a different play on bushes and, and stone wall, and I didn't want to go too far. That's all. <laughs> that, that, thank you for that. This is actually, uh, the, yeah, and the, starter, the harder soft cover thing is where they talk about it's important that players rate the terrain before they start. Um, See, I knew it was in there somewhere. Yeah, so it's, this it's, is it's, like a standard um, sidearm bullet or like a fifty caliber kind of thing? Because a fifty cal can probably get through a stone wall. A fifty cal can handle a cinder block, okie dokie. Um, I believe this is a harder soft cover is all unclassified to small arms fire. Because uh, if you go into the building section, you talk about the high explosives and the we, and the joy that that is. Yeah, I, I don't think they're considering it that way. I think I, it's a good it's a good way to look at it, though, Pat, is it's common sense to say whether or not it can basically stop a bullet or whether or not it just obscures you. I mean, I think I think it's the big difference is that you know one one may actually stop a bullet. And it may still deflect a 50 cal. You never know. It could still actually, you know, not. It could deflect instead of hit you. I mean, it is hey, possible. Butterfly flaps its wings. Something happens somewhere, right? Yeah, we're not going to go that deep. Uh, the other thing, going back to actual cover, is they actually specify so long as at least 50% of the shooters can draw a clear line, there is no cover. So it's 50% 50 of the unit to 50% of the units. So you can have your, your LMG standing on the other side of the wall and the other guy standing behind the wall and the whole unit gets hard cover. Go figure that one, huh? 
it just makes it easier for like you know keeping things simple, not having like roll separately for these three guys versus those ten guys or whatever. You know, the only thing that you is, is the the shooters. Every shooter from the unit who's going to fire has to have a clear line of fire, and then they talk about if fifty percent of the target of the shooter are affected by cover, then you apply that. The only other, so it's either shoot, no shoot, once you determine who can shoot, the only other thing that applies to that individually is the range of the weapon. And so I think they kind of kept it clean that way. I also, I also like the whole 50% to 50% because that, that adds the additional, you know, consideration on, you know, where do you pull your casualties from? And I kind of like that little nuanced bit in there because it can make a difference, so... And maybe we'll cover that in another topic at some point is because I do think that sometimes plays a significant role that people may overlook is that and maybe we'll cover that in like a things to things to not overlook is where you pull a model off from because sometimes it does matter where you pull that model from and I think people maybe don't see that. Well, I've, I've had that before in a game where uh, someone was within six inches when they fired but I removed the model that gave them that six inches and then all of a sudden the next turn he tried to do something like no. That model's gone now. You have a whole different scenario. I get to react to your fire this time. Yeah, it, it makes for interesting things. Um, so I think that it kind of covers everything. I think the shooting from cover thing is the only thing that maybe we didn't hit on quite specifically. Basically saying that if you're within the woods, you get the bonus. and Or it doesn't cost you anything to shoot out of a woods. But you are considered in soft cover when you're being shot at a soft or hard cover. I think it's soft cover, correct? Correct. Again, visually obscured. Yeah. So I think it's kind of the the cool, like, that's a, it's kind of cool because you can actually get yourself into a position where um, you're getting, you're basically setting yourself up for success by modifying your shots, but you're also getting, you're not being modified by others, which is kind of cool. All right. Now we'll go talk about the, the, the elephant in the room buildings because they're the one thing that are bother everybody. Or they're not bother. I don't know. They're, they're, I think the building rules are kind of fun. I don't know where the they're hell they fantastic are. They're They're really good if you don't have to be inside them and still get cover from them. Right? So buildings start in 121. I don't know that we need to go through all of the things. So there's a whole chapter on buildings, but then they don't talk about woods or any of the other terrain types, basically, other than what we've just covered. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think they do cover little bits and pieces of it in some of the, the campaign or the, the supplement books. Um, but I'm not entirely sure how many, how much it covers in those. It might be just some very specific terrain. Uh, different terrain types are covered in a lot of the campaign books, and different actual fighting scenarios are covered in the other campaign books. But buildings are always buildings for the most part. Right? Yeah, they don't. I don't think that changes a whole lot at all. Anyway, so buildings are buildings. You know, kind of what buildings are. Um, let's kind of go through. If you're not sure, those. ask. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it be where, like, you know corner of the building's blown out and someone had the expectation or the understanding that it may be ruins, but, you know, the other player was like, well, no, this is a building. So, again, it's one of those things you talk about your opponent before the game, give you right. an idea whether or not it's a, t if, you know, are we going to play this as ruins or are we going to play this as a building? It makes a big difference and we should understand it and then we'll roll to see who gets what table side. I think it's kind of nice to just, again, it just makes life easier when you do it beforehand. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing with building is the only way to get into one is to run. Meaning, you're not going to be able to get into a building and take a shot the same turn. And that was specifically by design. 
And also, if a building has multiple levels, you always come in on the first floor, and only one unit can occupy a floor of the building unless you're in the middle of a close quarter combat. It can take an advance order to go up one floor, or a run order to go up two. Again, and of course, when you run, you don't get to shoot. Uh, when you are in a building, you get hard cover from <clears throat> small arms. And to leave a building is either an advance or run, same as, same as leaving any sort of uh, obstacle or terrain that you're manning. And shooting from it, here's the big one. Count the windows before you go in or ask how you're going to consider them. Because I know I have some models where we've looked at it and go, hey, there's no windows in this side. Why the heck would you go in that building? But for every doorway or window, two guys can fire out of it. Whatever weapon they have, LMG. Now there's been a whole, and I don't want to open the can of worms of whether or not you can actually fire a bazooka from a building, because I think logic would say you probably shouldn't do that. Um, but you can fire two weapons, or two guys can fire from an open window or door. So count the number of windows and doors you have, like Rick and Four mentioned earlier with the marauding I was getting with the church that had half dozen windows on either side, so as it, the whole unit was firing at him with rapid fire. Did not make for a good day for him. Gross. Um, <laughs> it was pretty gross. Uh, so I think, the... let's, let's pause there for a second, because I think this is something that I often see, or maybe I screw up the most, is that you can run to a building and occupy it. You don't have to stop at the building and then next turn move into it. As long as you can get to a door or window, you can move essentially into the building on a run order, correct? Right, and it has to be a run order. Right, right. In but order... you, could start, you could start 10 inches away, run yes. at the building, uh, and get in the actually, building. Actually... Actually, the entire unit has to finish their run order within one inch of the within one inch, and one of that guy from the unit has to be able to get to a window or a door. Oh yeah, there we go. Okay, so that's the difference. Yep, Everyone the has difference. to be able to get with one inch. So, yep. but that doesn't mean that's 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 still a lot better than okay. I have to be within an inch to get in the building. And I think that's the, something that I see people playing wrong. What where the, con- I played the wrong. conga line, where the the whole unit like they used to do back in yeah. uh, in Warhammer, where you get the conga line out of your deployment zone, and boom, I'm in the building. Yeah, no, they uh, they thought about that. So yeah. everything, everything from everything from the unit trying to occupy the building has to has to finish their move within one inch, and one guy has to be able to get to a door or window. I do think it's important, and also note that um, artillery and infantry units can start the game start the game inside a building, and it does not have to be the, the building only has to be at least partially inside their setup zone does not have to yes. be completely within their setup zone. And I know that's something that some people hold over from other games is that it actually can be a pretty big bonus uh, because you can be, you know, yeah. you know, I think in one of, in one of my games, I, the, we had a church in the corner, you know, it was probably a 20 inch church or 18 inch, 18 inches of church, but it started in my deployment zone. So technically I could have deployed the unit in there and been literally across the halfway across the table before, before the game even started, which I think is, it can be kind of crazy. Yeah, because leaving a building, you can you can run out of a building. Again, through if something has to come out of a door or window, correct? Yes, but you're still able to make a run out of a building. I know right. some, some yeah, people yeah. have said you can only ever advance out of a building. I'm like, no, you can you can make a run. It pretty much it counts as you know an obstacle. Like if you're if you've been manning a wall this whole time, you can run over that wall. Whereas if you're two inches back from that wall, you can't run over it. You can only advance over it. So it's. Again, they actually keep some consistency, which is always nice. And so, and then they cover airstrikes against buildings and artillery and buildings. I don't know if we want to rehash the heavy weapons against buildings. I know we really covered it pretty good. I last think we beat term. that dead horse enough. We did. I don't think, 
So we're covered. We're, we're going to keep with the small arms fire element. There we go. Hey guys, just so you know, if you if your opponent has high explosives, don't go in the building. That's all I got to say. Or anyway, an airstrike, or, or an airstrike, or an artillery bombardment. Uh, anyway, so against the small arms fire, they get this extra protection rule, which is the same as the gun shield rule, which is just you know they have they get they have to do an extra one. So if it's regular infantry, they got to score five to actually wound them in the building. Should they happen to hit, because you get a minus two for cover for shooting into buildings, plus all the other modifiers that would typically affect against shooting. So, so you can go down in the building as well. Yes, you can. So if you can eliminate the high explosives and you've already eaten the artillery bombardment, then you can just camp out in the building and you're fine. Yeah, so like turn True. four, five, six, you're doing pretty good. Oh, all right. And if you got veterans in a building... You're not going to wound them. Now you got to wound them on sixes. Gross. That's why you assault with the, with your veterans, so which you've um, taken the time to make sure they're still alive, and you go into a full unit and dislodge the other guys. And GG. well, careful. Cause this is why you also bring flamethrowers, though. Well, oh, that's right, flamethrowers. So flamethrowers one thing, but if you're doing an assault on a unit that's in a building. Uh, that's a simultaneous close combat. Well, that's well, not even just against buildings. That's against yeah. any kind of cover right. or obstacle. So if, if somebody's occupying an obstacle, which means they're base-to-base with it, and you decide you're going to assault them, it is a simultaneous attack. Isn't it simultaneous also it, if you're crossing cover at any point during the assault? Doesn't it become simultaneous? Or is it just if they're defending an obstacle? They have to be defending. Okay. They have to be defending an obstacle. Now, keep in mind, if you move across... Okay, cover doesn't matter, but if you move across an obstacle, you can't assault. Right, you can't assault. Correct. You automatically lose that. you can't run. Yeah, I, f- I forget that one, too. So That's because you got those assault-crazy Japanese fellows. Yeah, I'm still learning. All I'm doing with them right now is just running as fast as I can forward to figure out what the probability of survival will be in the in those conditions. So I know, and that's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> well, it works sometimes, and I'm learning when it doesn't work, so we're getting there. So I, I don't know if there's anything else we need to cover. We talked about high explosives already, so I think... I mean, buildings are buildings. Are buildings. It's kind of the, the things I get uh, or people get confused about. I think probably me, mostly out of our group, is the, the moving in and out of, but also you just don't go in them. <laughs> so I, I just avoid them like the plague because inevitably they'll just get blown off the table. You know, interestingly enough is that you can actually target a building that doesn't have a unit just for the sake of destroying it. It, it actually says that in the rules that you could just shoot at a building that's not occupied just I might, for the sake of destroying it. I might do that next game just so I can blow up a building and feel cool about it, because why not? When you uh, got nothing better to do. Some battle reports I've seen from tournaments, that was an objective, like one of those like uh, tournament-wide objectives that you have to do like one of every game. That was one of them. It was just blow up or set fire to a building. didn't matter if there's a unit in there, you just had to do it. They actually, in the rules, they say nice. you can just do it. They say so that you can avoid enemy forces from occupying it, but whatever, yeah. Well, that's well, kind of, that could be actually a very key point as to why you blow up a building in it. Yeah, like, it's on your side of the table. I'm not going to get to it. I'll just blow it off the table before you can put somebody in it and make it harder for me to do anything to. I could see that being pretty nice. Or maybe um, maybe you've modeled up a really sweet ruined version, uh, ruined version of that chateau and when you blow it up, then you can exchange the the full chateau with the, like the burned out husk of what it used to be. That'd be really. Have cool. you been looking at my hobby table lately? Because that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just thinking of the stupid, cool things that would be fun and would think, actually 
add See, to the we appreciate so. the stupid, cool things. Yeah, it yeah does, I guess we do. Jeff, don't you have a, t- have a building where you, like, pull the top off and it's got the ruined version of it underneath it? It's like the, the, the Russian doll set? Yeah, basically, yeah. It, it, uh, the ruined base of it nests inside the model itself. So, yeah, if either of the two buildings I have are destroyed, you just literally grab it, lift it up, and there's a rune that fits in its original footprint right there. Oh, I don't so, know that I've seen those. You're going to have to show me sweet. those. It's that cool. actually could sound, really that sounds awesome. really cool. I'm going to have to, yeah, yeah, definitely show those to me. I believe it cool. was pre-painted, though, correct? Okay, so the first one I got was pre-painted because I wanted to see what it was like. And then I have two that are not pre-painted, one of which is on my painting table right now, and the other one is still sitting in a box behind me, but it will get painted soon. Okay, okay. okay. Do they have different, I mean, is, it, is there a variety of buildings that you can get? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are okay. uh, the uh, E-War, the, these are Plastacraft uh, E-War. They're 28-millimeter. Uh, one of the one I has the color ED okay. line, and the other one is the E-War definitely going to have a look at those so then. I've seen the Plastacraft. Price is right. I'm curious how, how it holds up. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that sounds cool. I'm going to have a look at those. Sorry, I didn't mean to drag us off. My apologies. No, it's okay. That was, I mean, it's kind of a cool little, it, I saw it when Jeff had one in his box, and I thought it was pretty sweet looking. Um, I believe so I one of the one of the other uh, titles we had for Snafu was off topic, wasn't it? Probably. I think we're we're getting good at it. I think we're actually we're actually doing pretty well, guys. We're sitting at an hour and twenty minutes, and I know at least ten of that is well, almost twenty of that is probably leftovers at this point. Um, why don't we stop for a second, just so I have a spot to cut from? So one of the other things that we've been doing lately is. Uh, Jeff running us through a scenario, and I think it's kind of cool to talk about that, you know, kind of end, end the show with that this time. Um, so, Jeff, why don't you tell us where we're at? I think we talked about him even a little bit last episode. I can't recollect what, what we kept in and what got cut because we had quite a bit of run-on last time. Um, so take it away, Jeff. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so I've been running a campaign, uh, you know, for everybody in the club that wants to get in, and we actually picked up a new player this last week, which was awesome. That'd be rocky. Uh, anyway, the campaign we're at now is we're fighting our way through World War II. Uh, we're already through Poland. Uh, we took a diversion into Norway. We finished that one up. And we're currently doing the initial stages of the Battle of France in the Low Countries. So the latest scenario is a three-parter that's going to be somewhat recreating the battle of, at Dunkirk in the British evacuation. Uh, so our first scenario, which almost everyone has already completed now, uh, was a relatively standard envelopment scenario where the German player, or Axis player in this case, is pushing on the Allied lines and wanting to get off their table edge uh, with the slight change that uh, the Axis player can either do a preparatory bombardment as per the rules or they can select to do a free airstrike instead of the preparatory bombardment, which is representative of the amount of Stukas that the Germans brought along with them in the initial stages of the war. So it's kind of, do you want to put a pin on a lot of units or do you really need to kill one unit. So it's kind of an interesting twist. The second twist part of this Dunkirk battle is that everyone has made an 800-point list, and for the next three battles, the entire mini-campaign here, they're going to be using that same list. Uh, If any one of the battles a unit is entirely wiped out or destroyed, it gets to be inexperienced for the next two or one battle, depending how long they survive. So uh, we were playing around with, you know, chaining things together, Uh, making consequences matter from one battle to the next. And there's going to be the scenario they'll play for scenario two is determining if the Axis, more Axis players win or more Allied players win. And, of course, right now we're at a a flat tie. So 
Uh, I think we still have two players left to do scenario one. Uh, hopefully they'll get their game in who, this um, week. Who are the players that are left? So I Jesse know and whether to Jesse and Eric. Yeah. And frankly, I'm strongly considering because I don't want to have to hold this up forever. I'm going to probably just go with scenario two, and they can either catch up or just jump into scenario two. And if you're worried that your forces are going to have inexperience and theirs aren't, it won't necessarily be game-breaking devious laughter here. Oh, God. All right. No, I was just trying to figure out, let's see, who who would I expect to win that game, Jesse or Eric? So. <laughs> uh, you can pretty much flip a coin on that one. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> it's the Finns versus the Soviets, so it's going to be an interesting battle, to say the least. It actually would be yep. kind of cool to watch. Hopefully they get it in. I sure hope so, because I'm, uh, I'm really excited to see that one. So Jesse should it, be back from his... Uh, fraternity to step aside so he's he's looking forward <laughs> yeah. to play one and eric i actually caught him up at fantasy flight this weekend playing that whatever that star wars dice rolling card game thing that he's been doing whatever that one was so destiny I think uh, that's yeah. what it is yep that that's could be one. it so yep. he should they should both be there this week All right. maybe we can set them off to the side and the rest of us can move on to the next game i don't know i think that we should surround them as they play because it's going to play into the campaign and then we can be like the uh, the senior the senior no, staff above the generals kind of applying pressure that well, might be kind of fun. <laughs> you know, Dale, that's not a bad idea because I mean, who wins depends on where this where this mini campaign goes, and uh, we have one Axis win, one Allied win, and you and Pat tied. So yeah. it was a tie in, in the uh, Axis' favor, though. I just I want to put that out there. Uh, one point is not close <laughs> enough to determine a victor. Ast- asterix. There's an asterix next to that. There's a steroid, <laughs> steroid clause in that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I think maybe if you can come up with something fun where we can have a minor, you know, I don't know, a minor impact in some way that might be kind of fun. I don't know. Or maybe we let those guys play their game and maybe uh, some of us get together and try and do a tank wars thing. I only got yeah. one little tank. Or maybe you're it's getting like a real tank. <laughs> you can borrow some actual tanks there, Dale. If you uh, if you feel so inclined, I can probably provide I you. I think a few. I only oh, have. I, don't know. I think I only have eight tanks. So you know, and several transports, and we'll figure yeah. something out. All yeah, right. not to go too off topic there, but I'm really curious to see how a Tiger Fear tank does in a tank war game. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting. Although. I got a firefly with your name on it. I was going to say, yeah, if you're shooting at it, Tiger Fury doesn't matter. Good point. Good point. You're right, actually. That's true. All right. Well, I'm really excited about the the campaign thing, and I think this actually will lend this this three-parter that you're working on right now might lend itself. It's already given me ideas for doing our own type of narrative or campaign-y type thing, our uh, tournament-type style thing. So I, I think I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm a little afraid because I think I lost half my units, and they're all now ex- inexperienced. All the things that mattered anyway, other than my Panzer. I think you actually had two units that survived, didn't you? I know yeah. Dale had two that survived. No, I had a couple more than that, but I, I, don't, uh, I think I had three or four units survive. But the pr- biggest problem was is that the one unit that I really count on, my assault engineers that all have the sub M- some MGs and stuff, they actually... Uh, they, they got blasted off the table. So I, my lieutenant and my, my one big assault squad are both inexperienced this next game. Well, when you park the transport they're in in front of his entire army, it's not going to work out well for him. I wanted to make it a game, guys. I didn't want to. I could have driven him off the table, and I should have. It just would have been really lame. Yeah, it's my responsibility to stop you, and I would have 
throwing those units in front of you. So never feel bad about trying to win. Next time I next time I will. Good. Next time I'll blast you somewhere else on the table. You can blast me anytime, Jeff. Oh, don't I know it. Uh, that's a different <laughs> podcast, guys. I I marked this one as explicit, though we will if if anyone's still listening at this point, I will mention that we'll be trying to keep it PG thirteen or lower. We're not gonna try and go to, to we're that. not gonna <laughs> Well that'll get edited out. Um no, maybe you it probably won't, since we went explicit. However, we're going to try and keep it kind of clean. We'll try and there will probably be curse words, but we won't be talking about your mother. Anyway, at least that's uh, tonight. Yeah, a few more drinks and maybe at a live one at Adepticon or something. Anyway, I think we've covered all of our primary topics. So, if you guys have any thoughts or ideas, you can send them to the Snafu Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find us at the Snafu Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can find us and search for us on iTunes. Where the Snafu podcast on there as well. There's another Snafu podcast that's you know that's like ten years old at this point. It's still stuck in there. If you can't find it, just type Snafu bolt action. It shows up just fine. You can also uh, call Rick's mom at. Uh, sorry. Yeah, you can if you want. I don't know that she's going to really want to talk to you. Anyway, uh, you can also find it. All of our podcasts or all all two of them at this point on the SnafuPodcast.com. Uh, they probably will be there before they'll be anywhere else just because it's of how things publish. Uh, I will be working on getting them into the Google Play Store, but right now they're just on iTunes. So that, uh, I think, is going to call it a night, if anyone has anything else. No, I don't I don't think so. I'm, I'm excited about getting this stuff going and seeing what happens. Yep, sounds good. Sweet. All right. Let's do Pat? it. Cool. Snafu, snafu over and out, right? Yep, you got it. You say it every time. All right, later, boys. Let's have a good evening. Bless them more, bless them more, the long and the short and the tall. Bless all the sergeants and W01s, bless all the corporals and their thinking sons, cause we're saying goodbye to them all. As back to their billets they crawl. You'll get no promotion this side of the ocean So cheer up, my lads, bless them all Bless them all, bless them all The long and the short and the tall Bless all the sergeants and W.O.1s Bless all the corporals and everything Sounds must be saying goodbye to Gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line. Have you any dirty washing, mother dear? We're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line, cause the washing day is here. Whether the weather may be wet or fine, we'll just rub along without a care. We're gonna hang out the washing on the Siegfried line If the Siegfried line's still there
Kiss me goodnight, Sergeant Major Tuck me in my little wooden bed We all love you, Sergeant Major When we hear you bawling, show a leg Don't forget to wake me in the morning And bring me round a nice hot cup of tea me good night, Sergeant Major. Sergeant Major, be a mother to me. Kiss me good night, Sergeant Major. Tuck me in my little wooden bed. We all love you, Sergeant Major. When we hear you bawling, show a leg. Don't forget to wake me. Oh